Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. makes perfect and that's true with anything um, anything you've seen uh, if you want to be good at it you've got to practice it and uh, so that truly is a bus and so at our Christian life we are so blessed to have the ministry we have we come to church and really if we leave and think that was just another service that just shows we weren't paying attention because God will meet us, he will touch us, and enrich us. And not only that, um, he knows where we're at mentally, spiritually, emotionally. So God knows that. So when we enter into his house, you know, he is able to touch us. And I thank him for it. So the path of scripture is what we'll, with the Lord's help, study today. And let's just read the two scriptures that it gives. If you can just, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. You can just follow on the screen if you wish, and we'll read these two. This is Paul in his writings to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And this is the reason that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay, let's pray, ask God to touch us, touch our Sunday school, the ministering throughout the day. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word most of all. So we ask you in the name of Jesus. Father, we need your help, God. We need your anointing. I know this word is anointed. So touch our minds, our hearts. Cleanse us, strengthen us, Lord God. Open our hearts and minds. Touch your Sunday school people, Lord God. Anoint us, Lord God, we pray. We pray for direction and guidance, Lord God. Touch us this day, throughout the day, Lord God. Have your strength and anointing upon us. We praise you for what you're going to do. We thank you for being the only true and wise God. Have your way this day, Lord God. And we thank you for what you're about to do. In your holy name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, in the Bible, we read that the Bible says all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, quote, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is how we quote that, or how I quote that. But it's in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's a misquote of mine. It's heaven and the earth. Revelation 22, 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Period. Amen. Period. Close quote. All scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. Does it matter where it's at, where it was? If it's between them two scriptures, it's God breathed and God anointed. It is to help us that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So no matter where you're at, what trial you're in, don't think that God don't have something to help me in, to help wherever you're at. Because look at our worst example in the Bible of Job. And God said, you stand up like a man. Don't sit there and cry about it. You stand up like a man before me. Open your Bible. That's every verse that's in it is God-inspired. So therefore, God will help us no matter where we're at. No matter where we're at in our trials or tribulation, God has a word that's been inspired. It's not just a most motivational speech to help just lift us up so or some pat on the back. It is the divine inspired word of God that will help us. And it will. Inspired by God is one time in the Bible that it means literally that's enough. God inspired it. We can believe it. And it's true. From them two scriptures, everywhere in between, and it's for doctrine. It is, the Bible says, it is profitable for doctrine. What we believe and why we believe what we believe. It is for doctrine. It is not our philosophy, not what which, which we've made up or just some theory by man, or this is not some revelation. There's no private interpretation that's been given to any man that we follow. We follow the doctrine that's in this book. Because it's divinely inspired. That would be, well, I, I won't say that. But anyway, correction. Correction. Now, I like this the way the Bible puts it. When it says it's profitable for correction, if you deal in construction, you know that straight, vertical, up and down is what's referred to as plumb. That is vertical. And correction means if you bring someone that's out of plumb, basically is the way I'd put it, back to plumb. That's what correction is. When our world gets thrown to one side or the other, the Bible, go to the Bible, and the Bible will bring you back plumb. And that is in the world which we live in, what's what? I don't know. All I know is when my world is upside down, I go back to the one that will bring me back plumb because I can't trust nobody out there. They're going to tell me stuff that's all over the map. I'm not going to trust them. But I'm going to go to the one that will bring me plum and I can trust. I'm not just giving myself because I've always said I have trust issues. So I'm going to go to the one that I know I can trust. Because it will bring me back plum. And instruction. For instruction, it says it's profitable for instruction. This in the Bible means the training just like we're doing with the children. This is the training all the way from the beginning and it just excuse this term, but till they plant us. This is everything in between. We are not going to stop the instruction. You never graduate from this course. It is always, God has something always new and fresh. I'm not, well, I've been coming here for so long and I've made it. No, you have not. This is something that's putting a limit on God. You come in here and just no matter what I've heard, no matter what I know, or no matter what, God has got something new and refreshing to touch us with. His scripture has, and he will do that. Righteousness, it is as humanity ought to. To be. This is a way that we ought to live. Righteousness. Then he said perfect. It says literally. 16 is for this reason. That the man of God may be perfect. Oddly enough that the man of God may be perfect. 
is only used one time in the Bible. You didn't get that. Thirdly furnished unto all good works. He says that 16 is the sole purpose is to make us perfect. Perfect is complete. To make us complete. And then that unto all good works, works is this. That which anything that you're occupied in, we look at that works as works of Christ. It means so much more than that. If you are a Christian following Christian principles, anything that you put your hand to, that's what it means. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is not just being a good person while you're in the house of God. God said, I will make you thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your what? Heart. And God said, I will anoint and do this for you. He will. His word's anointed, and we have to do this. We will do this. So this is what he has taken and he is doing. Now, I want to read a scripture of Paul's writings. You can just, it's in Acts 20. You can follow on the screen or turn to me if you will. But I'm, I'm, I got a lot, so I want to go. Uh, Acts 20 and 22. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. So listen to his words now, Acts 20 and 22. And now behold, when he says, and now behold, not trying to be rude, Paul would say, now listen to me. Now behold. This is what he's saying. I go bound in the spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But this is what we always quote. But none of these things move me. Neither count my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, listen, shall see my face no more. And then he says... Wherefore I take unto you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For this I know, after my departing shall grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And 30 is the last one. And of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Now Paul said, I've been going to different cities, and the Holy Ghost is saying the same thing to me. There's bonds and afflictions that I'm going to go, but I go bound. Literally, that's Paul saying, I can't get away from this. I go to bed with this, and I get up with this. But I'm going. I'm going to Jerusalem. And then he says, I, I'm, this is what's happening, and you shall see my face no more. But he's telling them, you must take heed. that Because when I leave, and what Paul did here is what the Lord would do when he would take a natural illustration to make a spiritual point, when you look this up where he says grievous wolves is going to enter, he's using literally, when you read that, when you look that up, he's using a natural. He said, what if you had a small group of lambs 
and you took a wolf and put that in with the lambs, what do you think would happen? They're going to destroy the flock. And so Paul's not using some out-of-the-place analogy that they can't relate to. He said they're going to come in and their purpose is to destroy you. They know, they know what they're going to do. They're going to come in. And Paul's saying God purchased this church with his own blood. Therefore, you've got to take heed of what you know. Because when I leave, they're going to try to take advantage of that and they're going to come in and try to destroy you. They're not going to come in and just have your best interest at heart. They're going to come in and speak perverse things among you. And then he says the shocking things. Some of them could even be among you. So when this Bible, for reproof, this Bible is what you use to test a false. That is what he said for reproof. How do you know something's false? You test it with the truth. That is how we know a false. Because this is what the Bible says. This is what you use. So he said to do this. And I said here a while back. I don't know. You might not fully understood me. But I just got up here and I said, this is our church. What I meant is the state does not own us. We come in here, God purchased this church with his own blood. We run this church. We have one pastor. He comes in here, there is no committee that dominates him. God Almighty instructs him. He preached to us. That's why I told him, we come in here, we hear one voice, but we leave as many voices. So that's why I said, this is our church. The state's not telling us what to do. They have no business coming in here telling us what to do. This is our church, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must speak this truth that's inspired of God. So that's what I meant by that. I'm not saying, I'm not excluding God in any way. But what I'm saying, I'm excluding the state from trying to come in and trying to control us. Now, what I want to do, I don't want to, I'm just going to do this. I want to ask you a question. What is sin? What is sin? What is sin? If you went to America's pulpits today and asked this question, what is sin? What kind of an answer would you get? If one thing I'm fed up with, and just pardon me here while I rant, is the world in which we live, puking out the most vile, disgusting mess that we have to be made subject to and considering it as all right as free speech. But a pastor comes in here anointing of the Holy Ghost and says, you can't say that. That's hate speech. No, sir. We have forgot one word, and that's conviction. We have just the pendulum swung so far before we said, if you cross the sidewalk on the left instead of the right, Well, that's sin. Now the pendulum has swung so far, we don't want to offend nobody. I don't want to offend nobody. What I won't do is God to move in our midst. And therefore, when we come in here and we try to limit the pastor from preaching the inspired word of God, we are being made subject to the outside. They just say every vile, disgusting thing they want and just say, I can say it. It's all, as the wise man said, it's all been done. It's all been said. It's all the putrid hate. It's all been there. 
the media we have today puts it out there in your face. It's everywhere. If we don't watch it, we come desensitized to it when we come into this house. And we, it's under the guise that we don't want to offend nobody. Don't get me wrong. I do not want to offend nobody. What I want is the conviction of the Holy Ghost in here. And God, start with me. Start with me when we come into this house and let God rule and reign in this house. Because if you ask, you ask the average church goer, what is sin? I don't know. I don't know. But whatever it is, grace covers it. And Grace covers it. I don't know what sin is. It's never preached. The definition of sin is never preached. I'm telling you, years ago, the old timers would tell you in a second what the definition of sin is. We cannot let up on this. We have got, the Bible plainly says, how, the, how will they know without a preacher? We can't let society put us in a place where we're afraid to preach the unadulterated word of God. And we come in here and we think, Oh, oh, we don't want to say that. No, what I'm saying is we've got to come in here. And, and as the days of Noah was, it, you read that. The Bible says that the, the men's hearts was only evil continually. They never let up. And it's just as bad now. It is, I work with women. They cuss worse than the men. It is disgusting. We are being made subject to it day in and day out. And then we come to church and then we think, and, and if I'm feeling it, I don't know of you. We just come in and, and we have the feeling, you know, um, and now society is getting, not only do they want you, they, they do not want you to define sin, they don't even want you to mention the word. I went on some websites and fingered and, and looked and what is the uh, statistics and it's only about 25% of Christians even believe the Bible is the authentic word of God. 25%. Where are we at? If you only, if one quarter only believes the Bible, what's the other three quarters doing going to church? I'm telling you the truth. What are we here for? A social club? No, no. This life is a vapor. And it's gone. And we create it like we're going to live forever on this earth. We're not in this body. We're not going to live on this earth forever. But all I'm saying is this Bible says, and I believe, it is the inspired word of God. And then when I take it lightly, when I walk in here and I just treat it nonchalantly and it's being preached and I just think, you know what? Lord bless him. I don't think God's going to take that too lightly. I'm telling you, another thing, it, you just got to forgive me. Revelation has stirred me so much. And let me say this. And please don't take it wrong. If you are a Christian and you read Revelation and when you close that book, if you are scared, you don't hate sin enough. And just forgive me for saying that. When you read the book of Revelation, the vials that's poured out, 
they are poured out from the temple. They are poured out from the temple in heaven. And God's angel says, worthy are you for destroying this vile that's on the earth. So all God is doing and what people don't understand, God himself in the flesh says there will never be a time or nor will there ever be a time. What people forget, that's only on planet earth. We ain't even got to eternity. That's only on planet earth. That's, they're worried about seven years. Don't worry about seven years. God's going to take care of us. When you close that book, you say, worthy God, are you worthy for doing this? You are the one. You are the one that has this in control. When you read Revelation, you have got to develop a hatred for sin. We don't have it. We live in this gust, defile mess that we out here. And it just soothes us and we get used to it. And we walk in here and, and you can't do that. You have got to hate it as much as God hates it. And if you read Revelation and you don't think God hates sins, I can't help you. I'm telling you, God has poured out and he told us plainly, there will never be a worse time on planet earth than there will be. And that's only for seven years, really the last three and a half in the great tribulation. I'm telling you, God will keep us no matter what. I'm not trying to get in what you believe. I'm telling you, trust God. You trust God in this. Do not. God ain't given us a spirit of fear. You trust God in this. uh, Fear is of the enemy. Literally. The Bible says this is another misquote. We quote it as, as give no place to the devil. The Bible says neither give place. It didn't say no place, but that's beside the point. We look at that as time. It does not mean time. It means literally what it says, place, territory. Neither give your home, your possessions where you're at. Don't give your possession. Don't give your house to the devil. Literally don't do it. Don't give your mind to the devil. God, I try to, or The enemy will try to put fear in your mind. Guard yourself. He is true. All I'm saying is this is the truth. The enemy is false. This is what we judge truth by. And the enemy, when he comes against us, it is the truth that we'll do it. It will do it. And if I was too rough, just pardon me, please. Just pardon me. He purchased this with his own blood. Freedom, freedom requires a different type than living in bondage. It makes a distinction that when Israel was in Egypt, it's just like being in prison. You're told when to sleep, eat, breathe, you name it. But when Israel was in Egypt, God brought them out. He took, all of a sudden they're out, and it was a new type for them. Israel was out of that bondage. So, and then Moses went up. God called Moses to go up. He called him up to the mountain. And this is what he said. And thou shalt say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, ye have seen what I did therefore to the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you up to myself. 
Now, therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the kingdom of Israel. Now, that's in Exodus. But where he says you shall be a peculiar treasure, when you look at that, that is something that the kings would take. And I have read a little bit on that, but that is something that the kings of Israel would take just to themselves. And it was a peculiar treasure that they would keep. And God said, Israel, this, as an analogy, this is what you will be to me. You will be my treasure. I brought you out and I have done this. I took and I brought you out of slavery. He clearly referenced what he did to the Egyptians, how he delivered the Israelites from bondage, and he did not want Israel to miss this. You was in bondage. I wanted you to see exactly what I did to your enemy, and God did that for a purpose. He wanted his power and actions as a deliverer. It earned him the right to give Israel the law. It is not just I'm delivering you to bring you out just to turn you loose. I delivered you. Now, therefore, I'm going to give you a set of commandments. And I have the right to do that since I have brought you out. The word of God, this word of God, is our freedom guideline book. It is basically... We would know this in school as an open book test, literally. It's, how else could you put this if you, as an adult, if somebody literally took you and just said, your life literally put you in a room and said, your life literally depends on this. I give you this book. It's an open book test. If you don't pass, your life is over then how serious would we take it? Preachers has been saying that throughout time, telling people, your life literally depends on this. And now, now, like I say, with the advancement of media, it has become Christians are so stupid, and, and just pardon me for saying that, but just everything is, uh, is portrayed as that we are the ones that are wrong and just so, um, just we, I, I have been told so many times that I need a crutch, that I can't, I'm mentally unstable, that I need something to lean on. And that's the way society views um, if you believe in this. And, and then, and you know, I try not to be too arrogant, and then I tell them, and you believe in evolution? Just take the hand. Look at a diagram of the hand. And you think evolution brought this to pass? And then I'd say, you know, you would make a good Christian because you have some unbelievable faith. (laughs) If you would believe that. Now, (laughs) 
He gave them the Ten Commandments. His intentions is for righteousness to within us. He gave us the Holy Ghost. It was to transform us, put his righteousness in us. Because God himself said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So it's not that God came. And I'm not trying. Um, I have said that, that what we have to do as apostolic Pentecostals is not to discourage the ones that believe so strongly in grace. I believe their, and I will say this, I believe their, their grace has been um, misguided. And I'm not trying to be harsh. But God said that I didn't come to do away with that. I came to fulfill that. So the grace that he gave us is so we could be righteous in this body of flesh. And we need grace to do that. And God in his mercy allowed us to do that. But we are told in that we live in a world... The world tells us we live in a world with no absolutes. And in a small way, I can believe that. Because in their world, they live in a world that's constantly changing. Someone that, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, divorce can happen to anybody. Anybody, including me. But just people that they love, their parents, their, their, their world changes all the time. Everything they believe in changes. So therefore, it's easy for them to say, there are no absolutes. There is none. For us to tell them the Bible is our one true absolute, they can't believe because they've lived in a world of no absolutes. But the Bible is our one. That's why I've said, put your hand on this book and touch the only thing in this world that'll never change. And that is what we need. Because when our world is changing and it's everything has gone haywire, we need something that we can handle that will not change. My world has gone crazy. So let me put my hand on the anchor that I know is not moving but they live that way. Everything can change, but I know God will not change. He will not change. And James said in, uh, let me see if I can find it. In, I think somebody took it out of my Bible. Just put it on the, is James on there? No? Okay. Um, James 1.25 I don't seem to have it and under pressure I can't find it but he said whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty whosoever looketh looketh means like we um, an example would be like if this is a mirror and you're standing here you know and then you That's what looketh means, is to stoop down and look. That means don't take the Bible and just read it with your head. Read it with your heart. Read it with your heart. It Looketh means to stoop down and look. 
Look into the perfect law of liberty. That's what he's saying is to stoop down and look at it and take this and read it. Now, the Word of God gives us tools for our access beyond detailing the characteristics between our old nature and our new nature, which Paul said we have to fight every day. He provides us the training tools to do this. God directed us to pray every day. Prayer is one of the disciplines that we need, and we have to do this. We have to do this. God give us this, and we must do this. So he's taken, and one thing, this life is short, very short. So he's taken, and we take... Sometimes, you know, I've always, and I'll just use myself. We have the principles in here that God has given us as disciplines like prayer and study and fasting and others. But we can't take hobbies, so to speak, or like whatever you'd want to use, a term that you'd want to use because God has defined um, things for us to do. And I've always used dirt bikes, so as crazy as this sounds, you know, I can't go watch a dirt bike race and think that's getting me closer to the Lord when I should be stay at home praying or something, or I can't, if if I love to do gardening, you know, I can't think gardening is bringing me closer to the Lord. That is something that we may like to do, but we can't subject something else for something that God has established in his word. That's why I believe God said, you go in the closet, shut the door, and when you shut the door, then you get along with me. You close the world out, everything. You close everything out, and you do this. Now, we have to do this, so we can't let our hobbies, you know, do this. We have to place God's words, our thoughts, everything on him. The Lord is our deliverer. Everything he has given us, everything he has given us. And then all scripture is inspired and useful to teach us, to make us realize, number one, what is wrong in our lives. And as long as we live in this body, as long as we live in this body, there will be things that we can improve on and even things that we can change. And so God will help us continually. He'll help us is just practice makes perfect. He will help us to develop, develop ourselves to become better, better Christians. And to do this, we have to just keep at it and do everything and to prepare us to do this. Now, we are, we are certain and assured that we can keep on doing this. We can keep on no matter, like I said before, this is not just something that we obtain to, we have to just keep on going, keep on going. Now, the Bible is not only our guide here, but it's our guide in the life to come. So that's why we must literally put stock in this, believe this, and it's just so easy. I mean, we're human. I mean, sometimes... I mean, it's just common. Uh, maybe we try to fight it. You know, we're, we're sitting in church and we got our mind on next Tuesday. 
um, we're just humanity. You know, we have things that affect us and relate to us, but we try to watch that. But this life is brief, and sometimes we live it like um, it's going to last like Noah, 950 years, but it's not. It's really going to be brief. So one thing, speaking of brief, um, the Bible gives us in his Bible, there's speaking of moments of time. I'll just share this with you. There's three moments of time that's spoken in the Bible, and all three share uh, a different Greek word, and all three occasions are used only one time in the Bible. The first one is in Luke, Luke 4 or 5, where the Bible is taking, let me see, in Luke, the fourth chapter and the fifth verse is when the Lord is fasted and he comes out and he says, and Jesus answered him saying, it is written, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. No, that's four. Um, fifth, and the devil taking him up to a high mountain and showed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That means where it says in a moment of time. That is like if you took and you was writing a letter and you put um, a period at the end of that. That's like a, a dot, just a point in time. And the devil was telling Jesus, I will give you the authority of all these kingdoms if you will just worship me. And Jesus said, this is just a few years. This is just a point in time compared to eternity. So he said, nope, no deal. The second one, if you want to just turn or you can just read on the screen, is when Paul was telling us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, for our light affliction is but for a moment, which worketh a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. That one means it's only here and now. This is just for a little while. It's just here and now. It's not going to last long. It's just a moment. He said it's just for a moment. And the last one is 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. And he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 52 begins with, in a moment. And what I like about this, this is where Christian says, God is going to come. Don't give him up. But this Greek word for this um, means that this moment cannot be divided. It is so brief that you can't divide this amount of time. It is that brief, that brief, this moment. And one thing I'll leave with you, if they would put um, Luke 15, 22, and just leave it up there. 
This is the prodigal, and this is what I love about Scripture, that no matter how many times we've visited something, God can always help us. Luke 15, 22, this is what the Bible says, speaking of the prodigal son. And the father said unto his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Now, first off, the father said this must be done. First, these items must be put on. It's not enough. I know this is a parable, but it's not enough just to have this. You must put these items on. And the Bible says, preceding this, the father was looking for them. So I believe God was saying, this is the one that I was looking for. This is the one. So he sees him coming and he tells him first, the first thing he tells his servants is to put on the garment. When you look up the garment, it is where it says put on the best robe. That garment was wore only by the kings. So I would liken that to a wedding garment. Give him a wedding garment. Number two, it says, and put the ring on his hand. I'm sure the world would say, who would want him? He's already spent his inheritance. He's come back broke. He would, he, he's, he's lived with the hogs. Who would want him? But the father said, as proof to the world, I will give you proof that you are my beloved. I will give you a ring to prove that you are mine. And then third, the father tells him to put shoes on his feet. Now, there's two times in the Bible when they went barefoot. Two times. One time, if you was a slave or if Israel was in mourning, oddly enough, if Israel was in mourning, God said, you mourn barefooted. All in the Bible. But the father said, put shoes on his feet. So the father told him, number one, you are no longer a slave, and your heaviness is over. God bless you. I love you. Let's stand. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.